right, welcome back to the Struggles of the Christian podcast. Uh, the last time we were talking about Saul, we ended where uh, Saul had become king, <clears throat> and he was reigning, and the sons of Belial were there, and they were not happy with Saul, saying, how is he going to deliver us? You know, because they're sons of Belial, they're the negatives, you know, they're, they're the ones who always have a problem for every solution. So today we're going to get into the beginning of Saul's reign. But what's very interesting to note about the beginning of Saul's reign is the very beginning of Saul's reign was the ending of Saul's reign. All right. So this is going to actually be a Bible study, a lot of scripture. So there's going to be a lot to read and follow. So here we go. Ready? First uh, Samuel 13, 1. Saul reigned one year. And when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul and Michmash and at Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gilbia of Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan, Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also was had in an abomination with the Philistines, and the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. So all of uh, all of Israel has heard that there's a garrison being smote, yet Saul didn't do it. Jonathan did it. That's interesting. So Saul is now a king, and he's making a name for himself. Uh, they're going to go after the Philistines. So Saul has 2,000 in with him. And Jonathan, Saul's son, has 1,000 with him. So these 3,000, they managed to get rid of an entire garrison of Philistines. Now, we know it was only the 1,000 with Jonathan. But the, these 3,000, they managed to get rid of an entire garrison of Philistines. Saul then blows a trumpet to send the message throughout the land that a garrison has fallen, that there is relief coming in Israel from the persecution of the Philistines. I just, you know, he saw, he, he, Jonathan is Saul's son, so Saul gets the, the, the credit, but, you know, I'm not sure how all that worked yet. So when the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand, which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from Beth Haven. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, when they saw that they were in danger, uh, for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over to over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. All right. So the Philistines gathered themselves together with 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen. And then the, the infantry as the multitude of sand, which is on the seashore. It's quite a big army. So we get to a major, a major turning point here. In Saul's kingship, though, he has been king for a couple of years and is making some progress against the Philistines. He's just gotten rid of an uh, of a garrison of Philistines, and the rest of the Philistine army, Philistine army, and a big one at that, has now decided to come up against him. The people are hiding. The people of Israel are hiding. They're hiding in caves, in rocks, and thickets, in high places, in pits. They are hiding from this army coming in. So. Uh, they are slowly uh, leaving Saul, and uh, they fear that he has stored, stirred up a uh, hornet's nest by 
getting rid of that uh, garrison. And he has, but that was kind of why he was uh, anointed king, to stir up a hornet's nest to win the victory, to fight for the people. So he was actually doing what God had said. However, we see in the next few verses that Saul's first mistake was one of his biggest mistakes ever, and it cost him his throne. Just a couple years in to his kingship, and he makes the mistake that cost him his throne. Okay. So 1 Samuel 13, 8, and he, being Saul, and he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. All right. That's very important because Samuel right now is the high priest. Saul is the king. There is to be no high priest who is king and no king who is high priest until Christ. That is an office set aside solely for God's son, never, ever to be encroached upon by man, ever. Saul has messed up. The king and the high priest were to be two people, not one. Jesus is the high priest, king, prophet, all in one. No one else is to ever assume they have all three or even two positions. Saul prophesied with the prophets earlier, but he was not a prophet. That was the spirit of God indicating to them that he was the chosen. He was not a priest. He sinned here by taking God's authority instead of waiting for Samuel, who was authorized to do this. Saul has just announced his own, or excuse me, just pronounced his own fate. He is done. God's done with him. Samuel is about to lay the, the smack down on him. Um, God is not happy. Samuel is not happy. So here we go. So 1 Samuel 13, 11. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at, Mich at Michmash, therefore said I, The Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now... Would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever? But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Just a couple of years in, Saul is done. He's a failure. He's been told that he will not be the forever line that God wanted. Saul was going to be the forever line. Well, I mean, God knew he never was. But Saul is now understanding what he gave up by his sin, his mistake, by not listening to God. One simple act of disobedience ruined him forever. Okay? He's not going to be the forever line that God's trying to establish. He's going to be replaced by another. Uh, and we know that other is uh, going to be David. Because Samuel had not come down, the people were scared, and Saul needed to make supplication to the Lord. That's the official answer that Saul gave him as to why he did this. That is the wrong answer. Wrong answer. We don't do things our way because the people are upset or fearful or because the people aren't listening. We do things God's way at all times because it's God's way, period. 
Saul did not. He's done. No longer the king Israel needed. Had he been a man after God's own heart, which is what God is looking for, had he been that man, he would have been the 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 the, the, the Messiah would have come from his line. Christ came from the line of David instead, because Saul was not a man after God's own heart. He was appeasing the people. He was appeasing himself. He was doing things the way uh, he saw fit, not the way God had laid it out. That's so very important. So Samuel leaves Saul disappointment at all. Samuel just walks away, says, we're done. You're done. Boom. So Saul takes stock of what he had. He had 600 men. I mean, what else is he going to do? He's been hired to do a job. He appointed king. He's going on to do his job. So we're going to 1 Samuel 13, 19. Now there was no smith, blacksmith. There was no blacksmith. Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share, his coulter, his axe, and his mattock. Yet they had a file for the mattocks and for the coulters and for the forks and the, for the axes and to sharpen the goats. There's no smith in all the land of Israel because the Philistines says, no, you're not getting those. We're going to take care of them. I don't know whether they killed them. They, they took them hostage, whatever. They said, no, you're not going to be able to make tools. You're not going to know how to work with the metal. So no, you're done. You're not getting that. Um, and I find this very interesting. For the Philistines, they removed, killed all the blacksmiths so the Israelites could not make spears and swords. They can't fight back with spears and swords. If you don't know how to work with metal, you don't know how to craft these things, you can't do it. So what are they going to fight? Rocks, bricks? Because the, the bricks were made of mud. They didn't have the, the, the bricks we have today. So... I found this to be a very intelligent way to do things. If they took out the ones that could provide the instruments of their uh, destruction to the people. They took out the blacksmiths who were going to make the tools that will overthrow them. Very interesting. Very smart. Very prudent. We take uh, the Philistines as a war-based society from what we know on them. Uh, most of us base our thoughts of the Philistines. We base our thoughts of them on Goliath. And the army that was there camped around when David goes out to uh, to um, challenge Goliath. That's where we we basically get all the knowledge we think we have of the Philistines from that little one little tidbit. So, basing it on that, th this is actually a well thought out strategy that the Philistines had in taking out the blacksmiths. I mean, it was just it was <laughs> it was very intelligent and colored me impressed on that one. So, so it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan, but with Saul and Jonathan, his son was there found. And the garrison of the Philistines, the garrison of the Philistines went out to the passage of Michmash. Okay. So the Israelites are going to war and they have two swords, one Saul, one's Jonathan's, and they have two spears, one Saul's, one's Jonathan's against the Philistine garrison against the Philistines, against the armies. Not great odds if you were Saul and Jonathan. Definitely not the best situation. Not the best weapons. And Saul had just been told he's no longer the king. Well, he's the king, but he's no longer the future king. He's having a very bad week here, okay? However, he still has Jonathan. In many days, 
when you're having that down week, when you're having that down month, you look to your right and you see who you do have beside you, and it looks a little brighter. So Jonathan, who by all accounts is relegated to a sidekick role in the Bible, he's about to go out and work some magic because he has faith. He has a strong right arm, and this young man had some gumption, let me tell you. So Jonathan is the can we do this? Yes, we can guy. Jonathan is the guy you say, hey, John, can we do this? And Jonathan goes, sure. He, he doesn't go, no, he's not negative. Jonathan, he's the can-do guy, all right? So 1 Samuel 14, 1. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, come and let us go over to the Philistines garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. That's very important. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Hatub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side, and the name of the one was Bozaz, and then the other name was Senna. The forefront of the one was situate north, northward over against Michmash, and the other southward over against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised, <laughs> the Gentiles, the Philistines, and it may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. That's fascinating. I mean, this whole thing is just, I don't know if you guys get excited like I do reading this stuff, but <laughs> it is amazing what a little faith in God can do. Anyway, so Jonathan is going out to recon uh, with his without his father knowing it. Um, so he's going out to just search around, look around, uh, and, and he hasn't told anybody. His father nor the people knew what he was doing. But Jonathan takes himself in the armor bearer, only two people, not so fast to miss just two people. So he doesn't take a lot. Um, but the, the he takes himself and the armor bearer. And the armor bearer now, and this is strictly... Um, this is strictly me thinking things through. This is not said in the Bible, okay? But the armor bearer, who logically should be a fairly hefty lad in his own right, for all the, all the armor of that day was metal. And if he carried that, uh, that uh, armor everywhere, he's got to be fairly uh, fit, physical, and nimble himself. A, nimble to keep up with Jonathan. B, fit to carry all that metal and not wear out. So... You know, him and Jonathan should be fairly fit young men ready to go. So the two of them, they make up a fairly, fairly sizable army in and of themselves. So Jonathan and the armor bearer are going out to see what they can see. Jonathan also has faith. The Lord can save by the many or by the few. Fascinating. What, what's it say? It says, uh, there, there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. God can do it either way. Uh, he was aware God could win the battle with nothing or with everything. And Jonathan is willing to be the instrument, whether it be of the nothing or the everything. What's even more interesting is that the armor bearer is a friend and a companion as well as a battle mate. Because we're going to see that by his answer to Jonathan when Jonathan says, hey, let's go check some stuff out, see where this garrison is, blah, blah. The armor bearer stands up, and this is his answer in uh, 1 Samuel 14, 7. And his armor bearer said unto him, 
to all that is in thine heart, turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Then said Jonathan, behold, we will pass over unto these men and we will discover ourselves unto them. We're going to get out there. We're going to let them see us. If they say unto us, tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and we won't go up. But if they say, come up unto us, then we will go up for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand and this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within, as it were, half an acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. Two guys going against a, a, a garrison of Philistines. Two guys. And they're, they're getting a little, uh, they're getting a little uh, trash shocking go. So they get up there. They have a battle plan. They have a strategy. And they have God. Sounds like to me they were prepared for whatever was to come. So these two men slew 20 of the Philistines in that garrison. They did it by surprise. And I say that because... Who expects two men to go against a garrison and win? Who? I don't. Um, so what happens, though, is that this, 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 these two men, they go and they, they slaughter these 20, but it doesn't stop there. The fear is now rippling through the rest of them, right? So let's read on a little bit to uh, 1 Samuel 14, 15. And there was trembling in the host, in the field, and among all the people, the garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled, and the earth quaked, so it was a very great trembling. You, you think that might be a good coincidence for that earthquake, or you think it might be God saying, hey, I'm here, I'm helping. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away, and they went on beating down one another. Then said Saul unto the people that were with him, number now and see who is gone from us. And when they had numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. Saul's going, okay, who's over there causing trouble? Let's do a head count. They counted. They figure out, oh, wait, Jonathan and his armor bearer are not here. So Saul says unto Ahiah, bring hither the ark of God. For the ark of God was at that time with the children of Israel. They had gone, got it passed after uh, Eli had let it fall into the hands of uh, I want to say the Philistines, but I'm not certain. I don't remember right off the top of my head. And I've said Philistines a lot here. So uh, they had lost the, the Ark of the Covenant. And now Saul and, and the children of Israel have it back. So it came to pass, while Saul talked into the priests, that the noise that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased. They're really starting to panic. And Saul said unto the priest, withdraw thine hand. And Saul and all the people that were with him were... Uh, that were with him assembled themselves and they came to the battle and behold every man's sword was against his fellow 
and there was a great discomfiture. They're starting to fight against each other out of fear because they don't know what's going on. So when one turns on one, all of a sudden, everybody doesn't know who to trust. They have started a huge melee, okay? Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with them into the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel, which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, in the thickets, the pits, the holes, <laughs> the forest, yeah. Uh, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in battle. Now it's safe to come out from hiding. They're going to do so. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over unto Bath Haven. All right. This is a whole lot in this little little bit here that we, we just looked at. It's fascinating stuff. All right. So Saul, at the beginning, he's now king, been king for about three years, just found out he messed up. He's not going to be king anymore. So, he, you know, he's still got a job to do. He's still got to be king. So he goes and, he, and him and his son, and they start fighting against the Philistines, discomforting against the Philistines. So uh, Jonathan says, hey, you know, let's go out, look around. And they do. They go out, they look around, and God delivers Israel that day. So all of this came out from a guy wanting to go out and recon. But God, who Jonathan said, God can deliver by the few or by the many, and God delivered by the few. And he added an earthquake in for good measure just to help out. So God delivered Israel that day. The ones who had gone to be in the Philistines' camps, whether as servants or merchants, the ones who were in hiding, and the ones that were in the 3,000 force rebelling against, they all came together after Jonathan had started, everybody fearing and uh, that the earthquake came and caused them to fear even more. Now we have people going out. Israel is throwing off the yoke of oppression. The Philistines have oppressed them for a number of years. So this whole thing is just, it's fascinating. Now, we're going to stop right there. And I had to, I wanted to keep going because it's just, it's, it's very interesting to me. But we're going to stop right there because right after this, right after this is a rashful oath, a rashful proclamation that leads to some serious issues. So, you know, if anybody ever says, why do you do that? Don't don't ever act rashly. Don't ever say, well, if this happens, I'll do this. Don't ever do that. And we're going to find out why next. But it's interesting as all get out to me. Um, so next time we're going to do that. And later this week, I'm also going to be starting the book of Jonah, which if you have not um, ever read the book of Jonah or studied it verse by, it is fascinating, the book of Jonah, not just about the fish, but the book of Jonah has so much more in it than the great whale. So anyway. Until next time, um, I will talk at you all later. Have a good week. I'm hoping to have the first Jonah started by uh, two days from now. So that's what we're going to shoot for, okay? All right, have a great day.